Hi everyone, welcome to Like a Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Woman Lit. I'm Christina. I'm Doreen. And I'm Ashley. Was that very Carly? The countdown with the five, four, and then you do the silent three, <laughs> two, one. It just reminds me of iCarly. Am I aging myself? Yeah, you kind of are. But also, iCarly is on TV now, so. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a reboot. There's a reboot. I think it's like in its second or third season right now, actually. Wait, what? Yeah. So long? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, not failing. It's not failing. And um, Sam is not a part of it. No. Um, no. Yeah. Did you read her book? You read I her did. book, okay? I did. It's, it's I guess so we'll jump off with that. <laughs> I feel like that's a part of why she doesn't want to mm-hmm. um, participate in it anymore. What do you mean? Uh, her experience with the creator mm-hmm. uh, who has been known or he's gotten a lot of um there's been a lot of allegations about um i can't remember if it's sexual misconduct or just really inappropriate behavior with his young employees i think what's creepy now when i look back at some of these tv shows is how there were so many, so many sexual innuendos for a kid's show. Yes. And that would have been written and produced and monitored and had adults on set. Remind me what's the name of that book and what's it about? Because I know you read it, Ashley. It's on my list. I'm glad my mother died or I'm glad my mom died. Yeah. And I remember when that, when that title came out, everybody was just like, what the fuck? Did you watch her interview with Drew Barrymore? I was just about to talk about her because I I really like Drew. I I think her interview style is very interesting. A bit too close for my own personal thing, but I love it. It it feels like you're witnessing healing in real time in a way that no matter how much it feels like, yeah, you know, it's Hollywood. Yeah, you know, it's produced. There's something about it that seems so genuine because I saw clips of her again with Brooke Shields. Is that your name? Mm-hmm. Yes. Brooke Shields. And they have very similar stories in yeah. terms of having a mom who would have used the career of their daughters, used their body, their image to make money off them. And yeah, I could totally understand why people who've gone through something like that is like, yeah, I'm glad my mom is dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. This is part of them beginning to heal themselves. To heal mm-hmm. after having yeah, been exploited by your caregiver and your nurse. By the person that people just expect to protect and care for you. So. I actually watched that Brooke Shields, Brooke Shields documentary. And it was Ooh. extremely uncomfortable. It was extremely... Yeah. Like, since she was a child, like, single-digit child, she's been sexualized in a very 
very off-putting way and all the adults around her were completely complicit in fact encouraging and engendering an environment where she was sexualized like well yeah but i think she was named like the most beautiful baby or baby or something like that too. And I mean, obviously, it's uh, within the like Eurocentric beauty standard um, that she is given this title. But uh, it's uh, it does it definitely does something to you f- um, to be in the spotlight at such a young age. Um, your entire perception of self is uh, seen through other people's eyes, and I think that's uh, that's what Janet McCurdy was talking about a lot. She spoke a trigger warning extensively about her eating disorders and eating habits and how that was influenced by her mother's eating habits. Um, Yeah, it's an excellent book. I would definitely recommend anybody who even is remotely a fan of like um, 90s TV or just... uh, want to understand what it's like being a child star not 90s i don't know why i said 90s early 2000 mid 2000s tv should watch i was just it. about to say that I, i'm happy that i caught myself but yeah, you were I, aging yourself right there listen <laughs> anyway i'm 16. <laughs> yeah rather what did you think about the book um, I thought it was really good. I listened to the book and uh, I always love when the person, the author, is also the narrator. Um, I think she's a great narrator. Um, you definitely hear um, the tone and just the... It's a very... It makes the book even more emotional. She touches on a lot of heavy topics um but to have her voice say them just makes you know that boy this she's really going through a lot and it's so easy to think that uh, young child actors are not going through anything and that they're they basically got like the luckiest pick to be child actors to be famous i mean i have a i have a blanket with the jonas brothers on them that i got from i was like 14 and i still use it because those were my babies man those were my guys and uh, so yeah just to be famous at uh, before you even reach puberty is uh, trippy and it's an experience that a lot of us won't understand um yeah and it's not a bit of roses you're literally at employed to do like you have contractual obligations to execute work at 10 you know at nine when other people are playing and she spoke about like the insanely long hours on set and uh, that sometimes uh, she'd only eat like an apple or something because at the same time i mean i'm kind of mushing all the book together but she went through her different stages because uh, i carly wasn't her first gig she has been a child actor and i think she started acting from like two or three like maybe in commercials first um and i have a vague memory of her talking i think she started out 
on a pageant. I think that's usually the trajectory. You bust on a pageant stage and then like especially as a child actor. So you start with the pageant shows, you win that and then you go on to or talent show, yes. You win that and then you go on to the bigger stage which is Hollywood. Um okay um but yeah janet mccurdy is an excellent writer um i think uh, it was great to understand her perspective because she wasn't the star of iCarly. she was a lot of the times i mean yes she was a supporting actor but a lot of the time she was also like the jest in it um and the punchline in the show and uh, I'm I'm trying to multitask. <laughs> okay, guys, I don't know what to know. <laughs> Should I still continue to talk? Okay, all right. Um, long story short, if you haven't read it, I'm glad my mom died. You should read it. Please go read it, guys. Not to prolong this, and I'll stop like in five seconds. But I find it so funny that. More recently, there's been a lot more podcasts from ex-child actors, like a lot of them who were like on Disney and Nickelodeon. They're doing a lot of podcasts now to retell their experiences either on the show or as child actors. And I find that super interesting. Of course, it's a way for them to get back into the spotlight because a lot of them have not been in mainstream media for decades so it's like another way for them to get into the spotlight again or get into mainstream again and make some money but also it's just really interesting hearing um really and truly what it's like to be a child actor because actually what you are is a child laborer <laughs> like that's what you are and there aren't many laws to protect you as a child who's an actor so yes anywho <laughs> Okay. Like, guys. what's worse than being child labor is being a child labor in one of the most exploitative yet gays the most industry, the most but, exploitative and yeah. extractive industry. Like, very. And then very. on top of that, being and it's glamorized. Breadwinner you for your family. Mm-hmm. Like you're the like breadwinner for your family. Child you labor is bad until you're in Hollywood or you're. Get winning Grammys You're in glossy magazines. Then it's glamorized, then it's totally okay for a little child labor to happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so anyway, sufficiently Lizzo's anyway as a transition. We can you know like when she what's that song? Um about it's that time. Bitch, your clock. Yeah, it's mm. yeah, yeah. So that part where she goes, anyway, I think we're like, I don't know the full length of that song. Can we use that <gasps> without being copyrighted? Like, copyrighted. All she says is, anyway, I don't know. And maybe, maybe it's a length. All right. What's happening in your lives? 
how long have you been at school now, Christina? How many months? I've been at school for maybe seven months now, I think. I don't Wait. think people listening to the podcast know that you're in school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't <laughs> know. Um, I am unfortunately studying for a postgraduate degree here in Manchester, England. Um, I am studying for an MA in gender, sexuality, and culture. And it's the reason why I say it's unfortunate is because it's not even just the course itself, which is extremely dynamic, wonderful, we love it, blah, blah, blah. It's the intensity of undergoing a postgraduate degree while existing in a completely different country for the first time in your life, um, living and making a life for yourself in an entirely different country, all on the cusp of changing decades in your life and all of that coming together while you're undergoing an intense um, postgraduate program has been eye-opening to say it very mildly and emotionally distraught to put it actually but yeah love that love the growth for me <laughs> i love the growth we love that my therapist is eating good because of me okay well um I'm happy that the listeners are up to speed with what's going on in your life, Christina. <laughs> um, for me, um, I started a new job in January, so I've really been focusing on that. I'm making strides. I got a little promotion. Making strides is such a Jamaican thing to say. I don't know why. I just feel like it's a track and field type reference. Is it? Mm -hmm. It just feels like one and then that just makes it feel even more Jamaican somehow. My Jamaican card cannot be revoked because even when I'm not really trying to be Jamaican, someone says, you're so Jamaican or that's the most Jamaican thing I've ever heard. So yeah, anyway. But yeah, guys, been making strides at work. I'm a little jobby job and uh, um just also trying to keep creative been writing i went to my first writer's workshop maybe like three weeks ago which was a really great experience and i've been trying to well not trying to i've been working on some creative projects that i (laughs) have had for a while but i said no enough is enough it is time for me to execute and see whatever happens happens so i've been working on that and uh, yeah that's that's what's keeping me occupied as well as my dogs that you may or may not be hearing right now in the background if anybody want two dogs you know just holler at your girl i'm giving them away i'm very proud of you um if nobody knows Ashley is extremely talented and creative and she refuses to share that talent with the world except maybe like once every seven months. So I'm very excited. And she'd be like, oh yeah, you know, guys, I was in this fellowship thing. Oh yeah, guys, you know, this. And we are like, okay. 
But I'm so proud of you, Ashley. And I'm so I excited. really am. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. So thank you guys. Thank you both for supporting. I think you're me. so hard on yourself, but you do a lot and you learn a lot. It's always talented people. It's been wonderful watching you bloom. I sincerely appreciate that. <laughs> oh my god, your birthday is almost there. Yeah, I'm having a list. That's on another thing that I've been up to. I'm having here, a list. Here you know. Well, here you know. It's not a crisis. <laughs> it's not a crisis because I welcome this new decade. Um, but I'm going to be 30 in June and I'm low key freaking out. Um, I don't know why though. You because... know what's funny? I'm excited to turn 30. Not excited, but like I'm looking forward to it. I don't feel any kind of dread necessarily. Or, well, I think I always anticipated a kind of dread because of media, of course. Like, mm-hmm. tell the kind of t- like I've been re watching, I re watch movies a lot, but the, the things that I've been re watching, and then not just go- 13 going on 30, but there are like certain films that would have um like rom-coms that would have come out like in the early 2000s or in the 90s or in the late 90s and a lot of the the female protagonists are in their late 20s going on 30 and it they're on a borderline identity existential crisis and me being at the age i'm now i'm just thinking to myself why the fuck why the fuck was TV because patriarchy telling us this message? Of course, always. Like I know it's like, like such a simple answer, or no, but it really answer. is. The answer. It really it is. is. It's the same people who produce things like iCarly, or the same mm-hmm. ones who are going to be telling women, "Well, you know, the clock is ticking. Your worth is kind of dwindling when you get closer to 30. Because even like Sex and the City and those sorts of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I just rewatched that clip. Um, it was floating around on the timeline um, when Big stood her up at the wedding and uh, she chased him and like banged him in the face with flowers. That was uh, intense to watch. And I just thought to myself, I feel like the promo, shot, well, the promo and the marketing um behind uh, sex and the city was absolutely insane because it was it 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 was basically made to let everybody feel like this is the life that you're supposed to aspire towards and uh, um one that's unrealistic but two having uh, like carrie's life wasn't even that great and it was filled with a lot of disappointment mind you i'm not a Sex and the City stand, so um, I don't really know the intricacies of it, and I don't, I can't like follow and say, yeah, this happened that, and I'm Team Aiden versus Team Big, but like she made some awful choices that left her pretty sad and low, and uh, that's not a life that uh, I personally aspire towards. So there's there's this. So in addition to reboots happening in general with. television shows and movies from decades ago there's also been a lot of people who've been revisiting these series and these movies and sex on the city because it was such a huge um popular kind of culturally shifting media a lot of people have been revisiting it and one of the things that i love i love when people begin to hate protagonists 
there's something very juicy about that to me. <laughs> because, and I, I like that because protagonists are created and architected to be loved and liked by everybody, right? So it's very, so a lot of people don't hone in or recognize the flaws or how they also architect a lot of the chaos in the series. And there's been a lot of dissection of Carrie as a character. And it's been, it's just been very stimulating to see the different ways that women or well people of this generation are looking at and analyzing Carrie the character because I remember when I was younger, oh God. <laughs> Imagine saying that. When I was younger and Sex and the City was on TV, Carrie and Miranda, well, less Miranda, but like Carrie and Samantha were characters that a lot of young girls aspired to be. Like everybody wanted to figure out which one, which one of the Sex and the City girls they were, what archetype they fit, fit into, and just generally fitting their personalities around that or as you rightfully mentioned actually wanting to sort of aspire to a fabulous life of cigarettes and cosmopolitan like that's where i learned about cosmopolitans and it's just been really really interesting to see the trajectory of a character like that and how they fit into the mid-20s well mid early early mid-20s 2000 sorry to know. Okay. I'm not doing anything. No, I'm just living. I'm enjoying life. I have a garden. Gardens, multiple gardens. I love it. Started garden. Well, I went to a gardening workshop over the weekend, Jerrine, and it was so beautiful. It's an organic um, gardening class. Um, and uh, I planted my first ever vegetable so i'm looking forward to being like a, a little backyard gar far farmer in the future um i'm so no i just want to live off the land like i want to live a sustainable life that's just filled with like art and just slow this is very intentional movement what did you plant you said you oh red oak lettuce Oh, did you go to that farm with uh, Jessica? Yes. Um, well, she originally shared it in her stories. And then I said I was going to go. And so we didn't plan to go together. I actually didn't even know that she was going to go. I thought she just shared it. But then I saw her. And uh, yeah, it was, it was chill vibes. It was good. For everybody listening, Jessica is our librarian. Our <laughs> librarian, but Jessica also has a really great company. Uh, is it Here She Grows? Which is Here We Grow. Here We Grow. Here We Grow. Um, she's doing a lot of work around teaching people how to be more sustainable and manage their waste, and I think that's amazing. Yeah, check the show notes for Jessica's Instagram and Here We Goes. Here we grows Instagram. Here we well. grows. And hire her if you're a company trying to become more sustainable. She knows her shit. And also, hi Jessica. 
if you're listening. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> All right. So, because this is a book podcast, um, have you guys been reading anything and has your life affected your reading pattern in any way? Like, I can obviously say that my life has completely derailed my reading for pleasure life, even though the things that I'm reading in some instances can be pleasurable, but I feel like, not feel like, how my mind works, unfortunately, is that because I'm in school, I feel like I have to withhold anything that feels good or anything that is not in advancement of school from myself. So, like I've attempted to read non-scholastic type books and it just is not working out for me. So I've mostly just been reading anything on my syllabus, but they've been interesting things. I could share some of them if anybody wants to know. Oh yes, okay. So last year, last semester, one of my courses was trans theory. Um, so I've been reading a lot of articles from trans writers, but one of the best, I would say, or one of the most impactful, rather, that I've read is Black on Both Sides by C. Riley Snorton. Um, it's a racial history of trans. So it's a very different kind of inter, like intervention into transness and the trans studies by mapping um like fugitivity so he looks at enslavement and runaway slaves and fugitivity and how a lot of what we understand about gender is interrelated with race and i am doing a poor job of talking about this book but it's really excellent it's a difficult it can be a difficult read because it's an academic text so it has um, quite a few jargons and it's also extremely referential so like if you haven't read one thing you might get lost um, in it but I think it's such a kind of foundational text kind of in the way that um, Horton Spiller's Mama's Baby Papa's Maybe has been very foundational to like gender and black studies this book I think is one of those because it again intervenes in gender and sexuality in a way that a lot of people don't think about gender and sexuality because that domain is usually very white. Like a lot of the authors and a lot of the thinkers that are referenced in gender or queer studies are usually white. So everybody will always look to a Judith Butler or uh, Eve Sedgwick, who I didn't know about. But um, people refer to these to these sort of thinkers. But I think C. Rallis Martin does a really good job of saying, "Hey, you cannot think about gender without thinking about race," because specifically, the black female body is a part of how we came into an understanding of womanness and gender in general. So. Very fun read. Which was, I mean, this is reminding me of what the, our second book club pick was about, Fair in the Black Body. 
Um, so that sounds mm-hmm. like a good companion. Actually, yes. For that. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. you said that it's very... I would agree. Um, dense. Or maybe two dense, dense books not yeah. to go together. But... Uh, <laughs> additional but, reading in the event that there, you really love deferring the black body and you wanted to dive deeper into more academic texts that talk about yeah. something similar yeah and i would say i think i'd say i only got a uh, part into like part way into fair the black body but i do plan to finish um but specifically in the first chapter of Alice norton's book um, I think it's very useful to read along with Fairing the Black Body because Uralis Martin does talk about the foundations of gynecology. And um, if you don't know, gynecology as a field of study started on captive enslaved women's bodies, like the tools that we now understand to be. Um, critical to gynecology. Uh, a lot of those tools came through or came to because of enslaved women. So and the torturous experimentations on their bodies. So good read. Great read. <laughs> um on a lighter note or heavier note depending on what kind of flow you have <laughs> you'll know what i'm talking about in a second i've been reading a lot about periods and um yeah it's been fascinating to understand the cycle that so many of us have to deal with on a monthly basis um sometimes well, not yeah, monthly at all on, as frequent to semi-frequent basis um it's a lot that one that people who menstruate have to go through let me say that sentence again it's a lot that people who menstruate have to go through and uh, you realize that uh, you literally only probably get like two days off the entire month that you are seeing your cycle because there is the however many days that you're actually bleeding but then the pre and post menstrual phases that you have to go through and all of the changes and fluctuations in your body that happen because of that and uh, i just uh, it just makes you understand that uh, you know like if uh, men were the persons who uh, people who made our laws uh, menstruated and had to deal with this on a a basis that was pretty frequent then all of the products that they would need and uh, just the facilities would be put in place and the policies would be put in place to be a little bit more understanding of uh, the extreme bodily changes that happened so quickly um so there's that but have i been reading anything else i mean the rebel men lit pics and just a few oh i'm really into newsletters now so um i've subscribed to a few sub stacks that uh, talk about like beauty 
have this lifestyle substack that I really like. Um, I don't remember the girl's name, but the name of the substack is called Morning Person. She's cute. She gives a lot of great recommendations, whether it's music or books or just things that she's loving. I like her. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's what I've been reading. I've also been reading this book about personal finance because I'm trying to get my financial literacy up. And uh, it's a book that I bought from the Rebel Woman Lit um, store um, called... Uh, it's a financial diet. So Chelsea Fagan from the financial diet, she uh, released a book, I think, last year or the year before that. It's nice. It's an easy read. It's very um, annotated and like illustrated with a whole bunch of like great stuff. It kind of feels like a magazine, but it's not a magazine. It's a good vibe. I would recommend it if you're somebody who is extremely new to personal finance. And that's, that's the thing that I'm reading. How about you, Doreen? I love, can I just say that I love Chelsea? Like, I love her so, so much. I found her TikTok recently. And her entire TikTok is just her hosting friends, um, doing dinner parties, living her best life. Yeah, she's cool. Um, And I'm really grateful for the space that she's created with uh, the financial diet because it's a very frank and open money discussion that you don't often find i think finally we've started to demystify money and uh, um i mean while it's uh, so like years and years later like i'm turning 30 and i feel like i'm only just now maybe understanding money in its entirety and using it as a tool rather than anything else um, so I'm happy for the space that Chelsea has created on the internet. Her podcasts are really good too. I was listening to one recently with, uh, uh, she was interviewing like someone who was like a nanny um, for some of the uber rich people in like New York, Manhattan, upper, upper east side or yeah, just uh, where the, the townhomes are. The iconic townhome from Devil Wears Prado that's on sale for, I, I don't even remember how much Diet Prado had posted it. It's an insane amount of money, like mil, like hundreds of millions of US dollars for oh, no, different one. a townhouse. But I mean, it's an iconic townhouse. Anyway, um, yeah, Chelsea's good and I love her as well, Christina. It's 27 million. Love that. <laughs> 27 million US dollars, mind you. Not like a baby million, not like a baby currency. Big, big US currency. Uh, by the way, Ashley, what was the name of the book that you said you were reading about periods? About I didn't say it. Let me. Okay, so full disclaimer. All right, let's let's have a little backstory. I went down a little um internet rabbit hole looking for period products, right? And I was reading a bunch of articles, and I came across uh, this article that was talking about uh, um 
those ranking period products with price, um, most sustainable, um, just like the different, uh, I guess, whatever you're, you'd, an average person is looking for in their period products. And I came across this brand called August. And so I decided to do the millennial thing and not Google it, but search for it on TikTok. No, not the millennial. Again, I'm aging myself. Do the Gen Z thing the Gen for Z. it on TikTok. <laughs> And uh, their socials came up and I was immediately intrigued. I love their marketing. Um, the designs and the graphics are super bright. And um, was still on down this wormhole. Started, it ended up, this business has been was started by this uh, um, Asian-American woman who um, has been advocating for period equality for several years and then she started a company but anyway she has a book that kind of sounds like a paper that she wrote while she was at university um it's a manifesto and not really a book so i feel like she can kind of get away with it but the name of it is called period power a manifesto for the menstrual movement and the person who wrote it is nadia okamoto i wanted to mention something actually uh while we were talking about uh menstruation and you know how legislation is formed around menstruation i just i wanted to mention that i think we all need to sort of dispel the myth and let go of the myth that if we had more women or people who experience menstruation in positions of power to change legislation, that we actually would get comprehensive legislation or additional resources, because that's not a guarantee at all. Um, if Bell Hooks never did say nothing, she did say that patriarchy has no gender. So anybody can be an actor of patriarchy and anybody can equally um, perpetuate very harmful things or just not give two fucks about whether you're able to afford sanitary napkins or whether you're afford to or whether you're able to get time off from work to experience um your menstruation or whether they need to make endometriosis knowledge more available and accessible. Yeah, just that there's no guarantee that having people who have the same experiences would lead to uh, better policies. I think a good example of that is I am willing to bet that at your high school, you did not get this information. And all three of us went to an all-girls high school. The information around periods was very limited. It was very much, it comes in X amount of days. Um, people will experience pain. You go to the nurse. Yeah, sure. Um, well, at my school, if you didn't have pads or something like that, you could get them from the nurse. But in terms of actual helpful education a lot of that has come from my own independent reading as an adult a lot of the reproductive health issues that affect 
people who menstruate is something that I didn't know about until much later in adulthood. And I had to be dealing with some of these issues myself. So, and I don't know, was, was your principal a woman? Like, was your board? Yeah. Actually, I think the, I think the, the head of the board at one was the chairwoman of the board. She was a chairwoman. Um, yeah. I think majority like, of our board. My board. Yeah. Like our board was women. Most of our teachers were women. Um, and the actual quality of education that we had around our bodies was so limited. And most of it was, there was shame, but also like you supported each other in said shame. I don't know how to describe it because yeah, if your uniform get messed up, come, come, come. And then you get your friend and they help you wash it out and stuff. But there wasn't actual, there was no celebration of periods at my high school. Celebrating periods wasn't something I knew about until I went to UWE and I saw I'm Glad I'm a Girl Foundation have period parties for the girls that were on camp and actually taught them about their period. There was nothing celebratory. There was no ritual around menstruating. There was no actual communal guidance. And we would have benefited from a teenage space where we would have had guidance from people who would have menstruated. So I think using that example of our high schools can give you an example as to what it could be if we had more people menstruating in power on a nationwide level. Yeah, exactly. Like I can recall uh, in high school, one of my friends vomiting her soul out in the bathroom and I I didn't understand why because my understanding of the symptoms of having a period is just cramps like that's the most that you would experience cramps and that's debilitating and that was it and I had no concept of just how generally awful it could be for a lot of people and I also didn't I didn't understand some of my own symptoms right because i i also thought a lot of my symptoms were normal you know i used to have extremely terrible not used to i still do extremely awful cramps i'd have backache i'd have things that i won't say on this podcast because tmi but having a lot of those terrible experiences and not having any sort of preparation for it. And I just want to shout out Feminate because I think what Feminate, which is a um, an organization in Trinidad and Tobago, is doing in terms of raising a lot of awareness around periods and around period poverty, but also what they're doing is educating a lot of uh, young people on the experience of having a period and moving beyond what we would have been taught in our days, which is the very basic and minimal information about periods and moving into um, just reproductive health in general and the full gamut of reproductive health. Big up on myself. Yeah, Feminate. I've actually never said that name out loud. I just, I know it's Femin and then a TT at the end. But Feminate is pretty cool. It's a a nice space that I'm happy exists for Caribbean, young Caribbean people. 
it's a running joke that their name is difficult to pronounce because I mean femininity it's it yeah Jerry, what have you been reading, if any at all, or how has your life impacted your reading life? I I've been allowing my life to guide what I've been reading. So just as I said earlier, I haven't been hyper focused on on my professional economic life, um, which I'm grateful for the privilege to have some time off not doing that. So what I've been reading have been <laughs> gardening books, uh, but it's very intentional type of books. So kind of bridging from what Ashley would have talked about in terms of periods and lack of education around it. For those who I've annoyed with it for a few months and then nobody was taking me on, so I just leave them alone. I've been eating and living as much as possible within my menstrual cycle. And that has impacted how I garden and how the things that I look for while shopping. And that's been guiding what I've been reading. So, ooh, I'll, I'll leave some resources in the show notes, but Berry on Berry, I, gosh, I hope I get her Instagram name right. She, she posts a lot on Instagram about eating in sync with your cycle so if you're interested in doing that, you can do that or just Google it. It's so much more than what you eat during your actual period or right before it starts. Um, it can be a lot, but again, I have a space right now where this is super important in my life. So I've just decided I'm going to do this because I have a couple more decades of dealing with said period and I like my clean and glowy skin. So I've been I've been embracing that. So two books that I've been reading along that trajectory is gosh, I wrote down the name of one because I read a digital one. So the first one is The Green Witch, Your Complete Guide to Natural Magic of Herbs, Flowers, Essential Oils, and More. And this is by Aaron Murphy Hiscock. So I read that book first and I fell in love with it. And if you are into witchy stuff or not into witchy stuff, it doesn't there's something in there if you are interested in any sort of living a more natural life. If you aren't a witchy stuff, you know that green witches are the type of people that use a lot of herbs and very practical things to heal themselves and people around them. So this book is very much an introductory, very introductory, very basic understanding of different types of herbs, um, flowers, growing your own garden, that type of thing that helps you heal and live more aligned to nature and all of that fun stuff. So I've been enjoying that series. Um, it's a series. So the next one that I, I've had for a while, but I just started reading is The Witch's Book of Self-Care by the same author. And this one has actual spells in there if you're into magic and that sort of stuff. A lot of it mostly is rituals and yeah, I'm not going to explain, over explain any of that. So if you are into that sort of stuff, if you appreciate rituals, especially if you would have grown up in a religious organization and there are certain things that you find grounding in rituals you may enjoy this sort of book what i do like about the book is that it splits off from 
first of all, it talks about the capitalism of self-care and all of that fun stuff. And then it gets into the actual content of the book. So it talks about self-care in terms of mental and emotional self-care, physical self-care, spiritual self-care, and household self-care. So I'm about um, middle-ish in the book. I haven't been practicing everything in the book. I'm just reading it through first and then taking what makes sense to me. So that's kind of where my headspace and my reading has been heading into. So lots of fun stuff in that direction. I love that so many of the women in my life are getting into this space of taking care of themselves. Like so many of you are just like, yeah, this is about me now. (laughs) And I love it. It's necessary. Audre Lorde said it best. Uh, Now I'm going to butcher the quote because (laughs) caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It's an act of self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Yes. Preach, Sister Lorde. So that's big up to the wellness industrial complex for completely degrading that comment, <laughs> that quote, I mean, but turning it into something completely different, turning it into yeah. a commodity and basically telling you that you cannot afford to take care of yourself or you need to do these yeah. Specific things in order for it to count as self care when self care can literally be just sitting down outside on your veranda. There's a difference between self care and self soothing, so that has kind of helped me differentiate what I do. So, getting a massage, getting a facial, getting my nails done that is just self soothing. Doing my taxes, ensuring that my investments are in line, ensuring that I go to the gym and, you know, I'm eating properly. Like that to me is actually caring for my well-being and caring for future dream because we literally only have one life. So as far as we know, as far as I know, take care of it and take care of the people around you. People tend to forget that Audre Lord was sick and ill. Um during the time of that <laughs> cancer journals just kind of run out of everybody's mind and they're yeah like, oh, cool i'll just put it on this salon wall okay it's not selfish <laughs> she was ill and it was necessary for her to pour into her body yeah it was necessary for her to pour into her body and take care of her body while it was managing and dealing with and being ravaged by this kind of illness so it's, uh, and I, I like that you reframe that, during because that's so important. Self-soothing versus self-care. And both are valid, but uh, caring for your body is about preserving your body. So what are you actually doing in terms of intentional acts to preserve this body for it to be sustained beyond today? Um, and a lot of that. Like your body, your mind. Yeah. So I know that for me, I am not preserving my body right now. I can openly admit that. I am very terrible at taking care of my physical self, and I hope to get better at it. But what I am trying to do is to take care of my psychological, mental, emotional self. And that involves therapy. Thankfully, I can access therapy. And... What that has done is absolutely helped me in terms of 
just navigating difficult emotions and recognizing when spaces and things and people are dysregulating for me and how to manage that dysregulation. And that's been great because, again, I'm learning these kind of tools that will help me to sustain myself as opposed to staying in a dysregulated and triggered state all the time, which is something that I existed in for a very long time. And none of that was good because I was constantly anxious, which is not to say I'm not anxious now, but I was always in a state of panic and always in a state of distress. And I feel like now I have just a little more tools in my toolbox that can help me to preserve my mind, which is something that I value completely. Yeah. The girls are doing it. <laughs> yeah. Also, just of note, it's like body, mind, soul. There's so many things. And also, the more, or the more I practice, because it really is a practice, the more I practice it, the less I feel like I have goals to hit and achieve and I also don't feel like I have to be on top of everything at all times I agree Jane um being able to being able to tell yourself that it's okay to not be perfect is uh, and it's impossible to be perfect so you're gonna make the mistake and uh, you're not gonna get everything right or you're not gonna everything get everything done in the way that you you want it to it's fine and uh, and that's something i'm also learning just letting go of the perfection and uh, or the need to be perfect because again who is and what is and just uh, doing something just completing the task is good enough we're not aiming for mediocrity but uh, being able to say okay i'm gonna complete this thing and actually do that is uh, an amazing feat and you should feel proud of yourself for doing that. My Instagram bio for like the last couple of months has just been recovering perfectionist because I feel like that's just where my life is now. Yeah. And it's also, I think, critical and I think it's a part of Audre Lorde's whole thing too is kind of understanding where a lot of these pressures and desires to... Uh, run our body into the ground comes from like capitalism and this world thrives on our bodies continuously being consumed and continuously being used for labor and used for things and even in service of um, things that we hold to be valuable and true right so a part of that that self-preservation and a part of that care is doing that work of recognizing why you're running yourself into the ground like this. Why are you continuously laboring in the way that we're laboring, especially as women, especially as queer people, especially as black people. So, yeah, I was going to say something and I completely forgot it. Oh, my battery, my earphone batteries are dying. I'm cutting that out, but I'm just saying that.
another way, um, I don't really have much to say on this besides it just being a fact. Another way my life has been impacting my reading is my attention span is so short. So freaking short. Jorian, you have ADHD. Yeah, but I've always had ADHD. But I've always had ADHD. Mm -hmm. The difference now is as I get older, as I'm exposed to even more media, my ADHD was able to hyper-focus into this fantastic fictional world and I'd be able to explore it. Now it's like, I could do that through a book that takes me eight to 12 hours to get the entire story. Or I could just go watch another episode of Succession and Mm -hmm. I get an amazing story in an hour. So what am I gravitating towards? Um, I really feel my attention span shrinking and that has significantly impacted how I read. And it's concerning now because right now reading is starting to feel like I have to practice it. I'm sure it's happening in other ways that I'm just not seeing, but seeing my transition with books throughout my lifetime, it's really showing me that, yeah. Because even when I do have the time, even if I do carve out the time to be like, yeah, I'm going to read, I'm going to read for a few hours. I'm just like, yo, this story though. (laughs) Like no matter what the pacing or the actual writing is, I'm like, why haven't I gotten It's not giving the satisfaction immediately. It's concerning, man. It's very concerning. I, I can't concentrate for too long. So I'm going to be practicing that because that is something that I do value. I do value my mind greatly. Mm-hmm. My instructor, one of my instructors, um, we were having that discussion in class. Actually, she was asking us if we noticed that it was a lot harder for us to stay concentrated on something because she was expressing that She's felt like she's increasingly finding it difficult to even read a page, like get to the end of a page of a book, uh, which is something that wasn't difficult for her before, you know, as an academic. But now she's finding it super difficult to sustain um, her time and her attention on something. Like she'll read a page and then she's just exhausted by it and she needs to go and do something else to get the dopamine hit. Maybe there's something that's happening. Um, Maybe, because it's not even, like no matter how interesting the story is, no matter how interesting mm-hmm. the topic is, if it's something I genuinely care about, it just doesn't feel like it's moving fast enough. Yeah. So that's concerning. Definitely, it really is. But succession is good though, so that's a good um, alternative. <laughs> Everybody Best go TV watch show. the session. Yes, we've spoken about two HBO shows now. <laughs> In honor of our shortening attention span, um, <laughs> that's not why, we'll be doing one book every two months at Rebel Women Lit. And why did you decide that? In honor of our <laughs> attention spans. But also, like, that. people have things. And, like, I was getting tired of the people that I wanted in book club not being able to join book club because they didn't have enough time to read the books. And I'm at this stage in my life where quality is a thousand percent more important to me than quantity of the things that I read. So in trying to not just read, but anything that I'm consuming, 
Ooh, you guys froze for me. Are you still hearing me? Oh, okay. You're back. So I really just wanted to put that into the space where we're valuing quality. We're spending a lot more time, or at least you have the option to spend more time with a text, um, to dig deep into it and share more. So you're more like, hopefully, in an ideal world, you'll have time to read the book and then share it with someone else who hasn't gotten a chance to read the book and you get to consume more media, you get to see more things around the topic that you're reading and really just sit with the text. Also the books that I picked this year, it's their, their texts, whether obviously or not obviously, it, it, it's something that you should be sitting with and thinking about. And one month, especially if you're going to rush a few days before a book club, it's not enough time for you to actually get the meaning behind what you're doing. And you can always look to the world's greatest book club, that is religion. They, they sit with one book for an entire lifetime. So That's very <laughs> funny. Darren, <laughs> um, you know that you're extremely <laughs> funny? You know that, right? Okay, I'm just. I want you to know. I'm. I'm really glad that you know that you're very funny. Thank you. I have a woman's sense of humor. Like men who think I'm funny just think I'm hot or scary. <laughs> mm. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to our podcast, Like a Real Book Club, and check out our show notes where you can see all the organizations we mentioned, all the businesses that are pretty cool, and of course, all the books. We're going to do our best to add these books to our community library. So if you are living here in Jamaica, you can access all these books for free, or you can help contribute to the work that we do in the community library by becoming a library member. If you're abroad and you just want to support our library, you can always make a donation to Rebel Women Lit and let us know that it's towards our library. As always, thank you for listening and stay lit. See you at book club. Bye.